Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Once again, welcome. This is going to be, I believe, one of the most important series that we've done or will do at Crosswalk for a number of reasons. Before we dig into those reasons, though, there are a couple practical things I want to get out of the way. First of all, uh, I would highly recommend that you get this book called The Story. Uh, We did have uh, a bunch of them out on the patio. I understand that they're sold out. I just asked the people in the Resource Center to order 50 more for next week, so uh, we're going to get 50 more, so if you don't wait. We are selling them at cost. However, you can also find them at Amazon.com and other retailers. Uh, But this book will be exceptionally helpful to you as we go through the story. This is going to be uh, a rather lengthy series, to be honest with you. There are 33 chapters in this book, I believe, maybe 34. But we're going to take it this way. We're going to take it over 14 weeks this summer. This will carry us through to September. And that will allow us to cover the beginnings and the Old Testament period of the story. And then in the fall, later on, we'll have a break. We'll have a few other series. Then we're going to come back to the story, and we'll talk about the the period of the Israelites and the prophets and so forth. And then next summer, we'll, we'll take another break, and then next summer we'll come back and finish up the final 14 weeks of the story. We'll talk about Jesus and the church. That's how we're going to break it down. You will find this to be very helpful in following along. If you'd like to look at a copy of it before ordering it, I'll put it right there. You can come up after the service and, uh, and have a peek at it. I'm really excited about this series. Probably the easiest way to describe why I'm excited about this series is to think of this question. How do you feel about being late to a movie? I don't know if you're anything like me, but I absolutely hate being late to a movie. Last week, Julie and I decided to go to the Star Trek movie, and I, I was just on sweating bullets, actually, because we went to dinner first. You know, take your wife to dinner in a movie, right? So the waiter, the waiter was taking forever to bring our food, and I'm thinking we're going to be late to this movie. And we're running down the street, which was not easy to do because it was Comic-Con downtown, and there were lots of interesting things to look at. But we stayed focused, and we got to the movie, and we made it on time. We even got to see some of the previews. Fantastic. But if you've ever come into the middle of a movie, you, I think, know what I'm talking about. Sometimes my daughter, Audrey, and Julie will be in the living room watching a chick flick. And, of course, I am not usually involved in the beginning of chick flicks. But uh, sometimes I'll take a break from my work in my home office and come in and sit down and try to understand. And, And the girls are, they're like glued to the TV and what's going on next and, you know, laughing at things. And I'm sitting there going... Hmm, wonder, wonder what's so funny about that. I don't get it. And I, I think part of it is just the fact that I haven't been in the movie from the beginning. Even I will notice that if Julie can rope me into a chick flick, that if I see it from the beginning, that I do catch interest in it, and I do get the jokes, and the story makes sense. It's important to be involved in a story 
from its beginnings to its middle to its end. And that's what we're going to be looking at in this. And obviously, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Any of you who are familiar with the story and looked at that video and realized we're covering all that in one Sunday, we're probably shaking your head. And the answer is yes, we're going to try to cover all of that in one Sunday, which is why I can't keep going with this introduction much longer. Because it's very important for us to get the whole story with its beginning and its middle and its end. Otherwise, if you come into it and you hear this isolated story about Isaiah, and then after that, that story about some guy named David, and then you follow that by a couple stories about uh, a fellow named Jesus who is called the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, and then Paul, and then Peter, and there are all these disconnected pieces with no big story connecting them, no beginning, middle, and end. Not only will you find it mysterious as to what's so great about this story, but you're going to begin to wonder about the people who seem so enthralled by the story, the way I sometimes wonder about Julie and Audrey when they're watching their movie. I'm not only looking at the movie going, huh, I wonder about that movie. I'm looking at them and going, huh, I wonder about these two ladies. And and that happens in real life, doesn't it? Not only do people in our lives question the story of the Bible, but then they begin to question you for believing the story of the Bible, for taking it in and putting your faith in it, and for thinking that this stuff about God and Jesus is all real. And that's why it's so important for us to get the beginning and the middle and the end. And that's where we're diving in today, is right at the beginning of the story. You can all count yourself blessed today because you got here in time and you are going to hear the beginning of the story. And so what I want you to do is pull out your crosswalk notes. If you brought your Bible along, you can open up to Genesis 1. If you have a Bible on your phone, feel free to open up your app here at Crosswalk. We don't tell you to put your phones away. We tell you to get them out so you can open up your Bible app. The first thing that we need to understand is that in reality, the Bible being a big book, there are actually 66 books contained in the book called the Bible, that there is more than one story being told here. And and for the sake of all of you and all of us to be able to understand, here's the critical point I want you to know. Really in the Bible, two important stories are being told. We might call them an upper story and a lower story. And the Bible is pretty explicit about these two stories that are being told, the upper story and the lower story, and even has different ways of portraying that. For example, in your crosswalk notes, I I quote the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verse 11. This is King Solomon writing, And he says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained. And then I highlighted these words, under the sun. What what Solomon is telling us is that we can look at the story of every character in the Bible And we can also look at our own personal story from this angle that we live a life under the sun, under the S-U-N sun, that 
from a human point of view, often just doesn't seem to make sense. There are ups, there are downs, there are little comedy side stories that go on in our life, very often when we're raising children or what, all kinds of... And then there are oftentimes many tragedies that take place in our life. There are things that come at us that we just question, where in the world is that coming from? Why is that person treating me this way? Why, why can I not seem to get ahead? And even someone as successful from a worldly point of view as Solomon, who was the greatest king of Israel, the wisest man who ever lived, can look around at his own life under the S-U-N sun, and when God is not factored into his picture... When he intentionally says, let's just take God out of this for a moment, he says, life is meaningless. It's like trying to grab hold of a bunch of air. It it just doesn't make sense. And, And I would guess that many of us have had that feeling as we look at our lives. If if we're not connecting our life to God's story and to God's life, and if we're only and, and even Christians do this for short periods of time. If we're only seeing this life that we're living down here, it, it sometimes does feel exactly that, meaningless and hopeless and chasing after the wind. But the Bible also tells us that it's important to know that there's not only this lower story that we all experience and that we find in the lives of all the people that are in the Bible, there's also an upper story, a bigger story, a more important story going on. And that's the story that we're really going to be looking at throughout this series, a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end that connects everything back to God and especially connects everything back to God's love and his design to pour out his love to us originally through creation and originally through designing and building for us an amazing home and then placing in that home a special place called the Garden of Eden where he could pour out his love. And then when we reject that home and when we reject God, God still relentlessly pursues us with his love and forgiveness and plans to send his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us and rebuild the relationship that we have broken through our sin. And that at the end, even though now our lives are broken and hurting, and often separated from God's story, God's full intention is to reunite himself with us in a new Garden of Eden, in a place called heaven. And that he will, his story, the story, is the story of us once again through his son Christ being united for eternity in heaven with him. And this is the beginning of that story. And how God designed this amazing Place. But if we don't start with this basic understanding that the Bible is really two stories, an upper story and a lower story, the everyday events of our life and the meta-narrative or the big story that God is driving toward rescuing and redeeming us for eternity, if we can't connect those things, often it will not make sense to us. So will you write this down? In the Bible, there are two stories being told. One is the story of life under the sun, S-U-N. The common everyday experiences, ups and downs, successes and failures, comedies and tragedies that you and I experience in life. 
That's life under the sun. And we're often very concerned about that life. God is concerned about that life. But at the end of the day, if we, if we don't connect it to the other story, the story of life under the sun, S-O-N, the lower story can often seem to be gibberish and meaningless. Let's dive in to the beginnings of the big story, the upper story. And it starts with just 10 words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a wonderful truth that expresses, those 10 simple words. And one that that so often in today's world is not believed. Because we're taught to understand everything around us as, at best, an accident. At best, a, a series of random events that maybe happened out of uh, an order that developed in our universe that we don't understand or really get where that order came from. But essentially, we're just a bunch of animals living in a world that came from we don't know where, and we'd better survive because only the fittest survive. That's the explanation and the understanding many people have of their world. They look at it, and they don't see design They don't see something that was created. They see something that randomly came about, and we are one interesting but random result of it. The Bible tells us a completely different story, doesn't it? It tells us that this universe was created intentionally, that there was a plan. If you read through Genesis 1, you can see how God constructs this world. And if, if you read through Genesis 1, there's a word that is never used, but it still leaps out to anyone who's reading Genesis 1, and it is the word love. Because God is clearly showing that he is preparing to create humankind. And he wants, out of love, humankind to have the best possible place to call home. And not only does he create this uh, amazing universe with stars and suns and moons, with, with continents and seas, with trees and plants, animals of all kind, fish swimming in the ocean, wild beasts roaming the earth, all of them intriguing and interesting. Not only does he create all of that just because, hey, I'm an artist and I I like to be creative. He's doing it because he intends to show us just how much he loves us. So he creates this phenomenal world. And don't, don't, don't you still experience that when you go out into creation, even though we now live in a sin-filled and fallen world? Julie and I were recently at a, at a place that's one of my favorite places in the world. It's just up on the Mogollon Rim. You got a two-hour drive. And just to look out there, see the creeks cascading, the, the pine trees, the, the views that you can see out over the, the Arizona mountains from the top of the rim. And you just step back from that and you go, God's creation is truly amazing. And that's in a sin-spoiled world, God's creation is still amazing. Imagine what it was like in its pristine state where in, in the midst of all of that then, God sets a garden, a perfect garden, where Adam and Eve, all they have to do to be taken care of is pluck a piece of fruit from a tree or pick a vegetable out of the ground. 
doesn't get any easier than that because God wanted his people to experience his love. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth for his people. And the crown of that creation was you and me, mankind, Adam and Eve. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. God created Adam and Eve in a way that he didn't create anybody else. First of all, with Adam, he he takes the soil and he personally molds that soil, the Bible tells us, so that it becomes the first man. When he creates Eve, he performs the, the world's first surgery and takes a rib out of Adam to create this beautiful woman, Eve, for the man Adam, because he knew it wouldn't be good for him to be alone. All lovingly and personally and specially created. But do you notice what it says here? There's something even more important than that. Something that he says about mankind that is not true of anything else that God creates. That we are created in his image. You know what that means? I'd wager that most of us in this room today really don't know what it means. And here's why I say that. Again and again, I hear people say about one another today, you are created in God's image. And if you believe that of a person sitting next to you today, that means you don't understand what God's image is. Because you and I, we today, were not made in God's image. Adam and Eve were made in God's image. And later on, I'll bring a verse that will prove to you that you and I are made in a different image nowadays. We are not made in God's image because God's image is not something physical. God is a spirit. And so when humankind were created, they were created not in a physical image of God, but in a spiritual image of God. And we know what that is by reading throughout the Bible. For example, when the Bible describes what a, a, a reborn Christ follower looks like, filled with the Spirit, it tells us that that reborn Christ follower begins to recover some of the image of God that we had all lost by Adam and Eve's sin. And, and then we get descriptions... Like this, let me read you from Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You hear those attributes? Those are the attributes that make up the image of God. And as you have those, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, as much as you have those is as much as you are in the image of God. And do you notice what Paul says? Those are not your fruit. They're not something that you produce. They are produced by the Holy Spirit. 
Adam and Eve did not need the Holy Spirit to produce them because they were created in God's image spiritually and morally. They were made to be just like God. Their heart and their mind felt and thought the way God's heart and mind feel. And God is all of those things. So originally, Adam and Eve were all of those things. And when man fell into sin, it's why we have baptisms. It's why little Isaiah was baptized. We lost all of that. We lost the image of God. You see, God originally wanted us to be spiritually and morally just like him in heart and mind because of his love. When God steps back from all of this, he's created this beautiful home. And he's created these people in his image spiritually. They look just like him in their heart and mind. And you can almost picture God were a physical being. God hooking his fingers in his pocket, stepping back from this this whole creation, and especially mankind, and going, man, that is good. I love it. And that is exactly what the Bible says that, that God did. God saw all that he made, Genesis 1.31, and it was very good. And God even tells his people, I have so much love in my heart, Adam and Eve. And not because I have to. We can pass our love around between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is not doing this so that his needs are met. He's doing this so that his love can overflow. And so he says, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image. And then he tells Adam and Eve, Multiply, because I, I'm God. I am love. My love is infinite, and I have all this love that I want to pour out on all mankind, all these people. Be fruitful and increase in number. And here's the final thing that shows us just how much love God has for us, had for Adam and Eve in creating this world. Do you notice what was happening in Genesis chapter 3? I, I put it in your notes. Take a look. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Then right below that, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. And what made that sound? What made that sound of the Lord God that they heard? As he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, God had created this universe and the Garden of Eden not only as a home for the people that he loved, but also as a rendezvous point for him to literally and personally be face to face. You know what that tells us? God's intention was not that there be two stories. God's intention originally was that there be only one story, a story in which God would meet humankind daily and come down and they would interact personally and directly And that was, out of his love, exactly what God wanted to see perpetuated and go on as people, as Adam and Eve, multiplied. He was going to walk in the garden in the cool of the day. It's interesting, isn't it, that even today, you you read the New Testament, and the relationship that we have with God is still called a walk. How's your walk with your Lord? 
In fact, in the original Greek, the word peripateo means to walk around, and it's often in the NIV translation, not translated anymore as walk. The old verse that you probably remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that says, we walk by faith, not by sight, is now, and not wrongfully, because it really tells us what that word walk means, is now translated, we live by faith and not by sight. You see, our our life even today is still intended to be a walk with God. And we're going to talk in a little bit about how our story can still become one with God's story, how the lower story of our life can be reunited with the upper story of God's life. But write this down. Originally, this is important to understand, the stories were meant to be one. What happened? What split those stories from one story into two? How did we get so separated from God? How did things go so horribly wrong? You saw it portrayed in the video. Into this beautiful creation came a fallen angel named Satan. He slithered into this beautiful and perfect garden of Eden in the form of a serpent, and he began to put God to question. And as we watch what develops in this conversation between Satan and Eve, we can see in it the very seeds not only of Eve and then of Adam's destruction, but also the seeds of our own destruction. It helps us to more deeply understand sin and temptation. And it's important for us to get this part of the story because the less we understand sin and temptation and how it still works and how Satan still whispers into our ear, how that serpent is still trying to affect and divide us from God, the better we understand, the more equipped we are to battle back against him. God had placed two trees in the garden. One was the tree of life. The other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told Adam and Eve, there's just one thing I'm asking of you. Don't eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm just going to warn you. Be completely upfront with you. Because the choice is yours. Part of my love is I'm creating, creating you with choice and responsibility. You can eat it if you want, but it, on the day you choose to eat from that tree, which I'm telling you not to eat from, you will die. I wonder if Adam and Eve even really understood what those words meant. They knew it wasn't something very good, and they knew it was something that wasn't going to make their creator happy. Even though they understood the words well, as we see when Satan comes into the garden to question them, Satan does what he always does because he is, as Jesus calls him, the father of lies. And look at how he starts this. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Right away, he's speaking for God and contradicting what God has said. God knows that when you eat from it, instead of dying, your eyes are going to be opened. 
You're going to see things so much more clearly. You're going to understand and know and grasp things that you would never know. He just lays it out there. And you want to know what's really going to be great about eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You yourself will become like God. Whoa. I will become like the guy that created all of this. And isn't that still the way the devil whispers in our ear? Maybe I should say hisses into our ear. Don't believe what God's told you. That's baloney. You will not certainly die. In fact, even now, Satan loves to convince you that you're invincible. How many of us even like to think about death? We push it out of our mind. We say to ourselves, I will not certainly die. I'm just going to keep on going. And people die all around us. Loved ones die around us. This week in our church, we had a young man pass away. And yet, in spite of all of that, we continue to convince ourselves That little whisper in our ear, I will not certainly die. Instead, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to call the shots. I'm going to do what I want. This is going to be great. Instead of God's design where he loves and blesses us, and then we love and bless and praise him in return, Satan says, make it about you. Do you notice how often he uses the word you in that Passage I just read, you will not certainly die. Eve, let's make this about you. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's talk about you, not God. Because Satan knows if he can get us thinking, it's all about me. Then he's got us right where he wants us to be. Turn the page. So Eve does. She starts thinking about me, myself, and I. And when she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, looks good to me, and pleasing to her eye, to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. How does Eve now live now that her thoughts have become sinful and she no longer is trusting what God has said and she's thinking about herself in this sinful selfishness? She begins to live no longer by asking the question, what does God want? Now what question is she asking? What do I want? Instead of having her life ruled by God's wisdom, she is now having her life ruled by her feelings and her senses and her experiences, not just past experiences, but experiences that she wants to have. Brothers and sisters, if you are making your choices and decisions even today because you think to yourself, this is what's going to feel great to me. This is what I think is going to be smart 
for me. This is what I want to experience because I need this experience so that my eyes can be open to the world around me. If you're basing your choices and your decisions on your senses, on your wisdom, on your experience, and if those are the questions that you're asking, instead of asking yourself, what does God say? Then you're going to go the exact same direction that Adam and Eve went. And there's Adam, by the way, standing right there. And I don't care, even if this had been reversed, what if it had been him eating the fruit first and her standing by? It would have still been wrong because they were supposed to be there to protect each other. And especially to protect each other in the image of God spiritually. Adam should have stepped up before Eve took that fruit while she was still thinking and going, uh-uh, hon, no. We're not doing that. You see, this is why we're designed to live together because there are those times when we need another person in our life to step up for us and say, we're not going to live our lives ruled by our senses and our experiences and our own human wisdom. We're going to live under the word and the wisdom of our Heavenly Father, God himself. And we have to be there for each other, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, grandparents and grandchildren, members together as a crosswalk family, in a growth group, in a class system class. We are meant to be going through this life together. One of my proudest moments in this past week has been to see our family members step forward for this family who lost their 19-year-old son and remind them of God's promises and God's truths of a Savior. Just amazing to see the love and the care, and that's the way it's designed to be. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. See what happens when we sin? Now we're vulnerable. Now we don't feel safe. Now instead we feel we have things to hide. We have to cover up and we can't be authentic. We can't be real with others. Not only did Adam and Eve begin to cover up parts of their bodies, they began to cover up part of their hearts and minds and keep other people out. They're not just separated from God by this sin, but we're separated from each other because of this sin. We'll see more of that in just a moment. God comes into the garden. He's looking for Adam and Eve. He's been, as we read before, personally and directly in contact with them in this rendezvous point, this beautiful point called the Garden of Eden. And he asks Adam, dude, where were you? It's kind of funny. Always before when I came down to walk in the garden, you were there. And Adam says, I heard you in the garden, God, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. Now, instead of loving friendship and fellowship with God, there's fear. Understandably so, because 
they had been told death was going to come, that God would punish their sin. And so instead of stepping forward to take responsibility for what they had done wrong, they run and they hide because they're concerned that God is going to be really unhappy, which he was. He was sad, as the video told us, and he was mad, angry, as he always is with sin. Read it in the Bible over and over and over again. The Bible talks about both the anger and the sadness that our sins bring to the heart of God. I was afraid, and so too today, often we're afraid of God instead of being in loving fellowship. And you know one of the worst ramifications and results of sin? I'll bet you see it all the time. Maybe you didn't realize that it was a result of sin, but it's everywhere. And it is the refusal to accept responsibility. We've lost the realization that we... Responsibility comes from the word respond. We've lost the ability to see that we can respond to events and occurrences in our life the way we choose. And we have bought into Satan's lie that if X event happens, then why thought or why emotion must certainly follow, and I have no control over that. I may be married, but if another person comes into my life and I happen to fall in love with them, well, who can control love? Somebody says something really mean really cruel. And I get really ticked off by that and I lash out and I I get defensive and angry. And someone questions me about that. Like, dude, stay calm. And what's my response? Well, who could have done anything different? Did you hear what he said to me? Something passes in front of my eyes. The neighbor has just gotten something new. And man, that's the thing that I've, I've been wanting to have for 5, 10, 15 years. Oh, really? How did Joe pull that off? Come on, dude. I've been saving for years for that truck. And I lust and I envy and I get greedy. Two commandments talk about covetousness, not one. And I think to myself, well, who could have responded differently? I've been waiting so long for that truck. You see, Satan's lie is that I can't take control of my thoughts and my heart. And it is a lie. When someone... (laughs) When someone comes before me and I might feel attracted to them and might want to fall in love with them, I can choose to say to myself, not only, hey, wow, hmm. Or I can say, I have been given the most amazing wife, a beautiful woman who has made so many sacrifices for me. And I 
Love her. When, when, when somebody says something really cruel to me, I can choose to get defensive and lash back at that person, or I, I can choose by the Spirit's power to say, wait a minute. Maybe the best thing is for me to exercise some self-control. Remember that they might have something going on in their life. It might not even be about me. I might have just been the target of the day, and maybe they could use some grace and some forgiveness and and just treat them with kindness and do what Jesus says, love my momentary enemy who just lashed out at me. I, I can see the truck and I can have my heart filled with greed or I can see the truck and go, God bless my neighbor. Really, Joe got that truck? That's awesome. I'm so excited for him. I just know he's going to let me get behind the wheel. Right? Because it's God's truck, not his truck. And I'm really excited and happy for him. We don't think that we have responsibility over even our thoughts. And we start to convince ourselves that this is just going to happen and that emotion is going to happen. And you see it here. The man said, it's the woman. She's at fault. And by the way, the woman, I didn't have enough room. She goes, no, dude, it wasn't me. It was that serpent. And Adam, do you notice what he also says? God, you were the one who brought this woman here. It's you at fault. And don't we do that too sometimes? We do. We do. We blame God. Why, God, did you let that happen? We blame God instead of taking responsibility, understanding that all the acts that we commit, both sinful and righteous, are seeds. Sometimes those seeds will sprout up and blossom right away and produce their fruit. Sometimes there's a gap, just like in a real plant, and then the harvest comes in. But accept the responsibility. And because God knew that this seed of sin was going to create a harvest that could be damaging if Adam and Eve ate from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he chased them away from the tree of life. He banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And that's where the stories become separated. Sin separated us from God and from life with God. One story became two. Here's how I want to wrap up. Isn't it awesome that God did not leave it there? Immediately, God takes steps to restore it to one story. No separation between him and us. Two stories, an upper story of his purpose and his plan. Our everyday story, he takes steps to reconcile those and bring them back together And he does it right away in the Garden of Eden when he comes down to pronounce his judgment on their sin. Adam, it's going to be tough when you work from now on, bud. Thorns and thistles are going to grow up from the ground. It's going to be by the sweat of your brow that you live, Eve. What would have once been just a joy, pure joy and pure pleasure to give birth to a child is now going to be excruciating for you. But, God says... As angry and frustrated as I am right now, as sad as I am to see what you've brought into this world, Adam and Eve, 
never, ever, ever imagine that my love for you has come to an end because it hasn't. Now, do you hear that for you? Whatever sin you've committed against God, whatever things have separated you and your relationship from God so that your upper story and and your lower story, they feel disconnected and you feel like life is meaningless, I want you to know that what God says to Adam and Eve, he says to you, he looks at Satan, the serpent, he says, I'm going to put enmity, I'm going to put hatred between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And then he goes singular. He goes from offspring, a collective plural noun, to singular because he's talking about one specific and special offspring. He, and he means Jesus Christ, his own son. He will come, Satan, and will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Have you ever been in a real fight? I don't mean the kind of fight you had when you were a teenager in school, but the kind of fight where you know that if you don't put that guy to an end, he's going to put you to an end? I can tell you that if you're ever in a fight like that, you are not going to be satisfied with stepping on his toes. You're going to want to knock him down so that he stays down permanently. Do you notice the language that God uses in this promise? My son, the savior of the world, will crush your head, Satan. He is going to knock you down and knock you out, and you are going to be done permanently. And that's my promise, and that is God's promise to you. That's why we can say your sins are forgiven. That's why we can say heaven is God's gift to you. That's why we can look at the cross and say, yes, Satan, you got away. You stepped on Jesus' toes and it hurt for a little while, but he crushed your head. He rose from the grave and he defeated you and he defeated death and sin. And now the victory belongs to all of us. God immediately took action to restore unity by promising a champion named Jesus. It doesn't mean sin is gone. But in that, God restored the oneness of our stories. Today, that oneness is restored through something called faith. When we trust God, when we believe in his promises, when we know and rely on Jesus as our Lord and Savior, That's when the story of all the ups and downs, the comedies and tragedies, the everyday events of our life that we may question and may sometimes feel meaningless gets reunited and we go, this is part of God's bigger story, the story of his son, Jesus. And this is all leading to his coming again to redeem all of us permanently and to take us back to the Garden of Eden where the unity will be truly and personally restored. Today it's by faith, then then it will be by experience. And while we wait, we continue to struggle. Why? Because when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son, not in God's likeness, but in his own likeness. That's why we baptized Isaiah today. That's why all of us need baptism. 
That's why all of us need each other because we are now born in the likeness of Adam by nature. And the only way for that likeness to be restored is for Jesus' likeness to be placed over us through the waters of baptism. Because if we continue in the likeness of Adam, do you see what happens? Why God had to destroy the world once in the time of Noah. This is what still happens today. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. That's where we're headed without Jesus in our hearts. That's where the world is when they don't have Jesus in their hearts. And that's why you need to hear this story. Because without the story, this is exactly where by nature your heart would be, where the inclination of the thoughts of your heart would be only evil all the time. Praise God, that's not the way it is for you. Because you've been given Jesus, you've been given the Holy Spirit, and the image of God is being restored in you, and your life is now not meaningless. It's part of God's upper story. Here's my final thought. In Jesus now, our stories are meaningful despite sin in the world. I want you to go home knowing this today. Your story matters to God. And that's why we want you to come back and continue to hear more about this upper story so that you can continue by faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior to dovetail the two stories in your life too. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have given us the Bible, your word. And as we continue to dive down into the story of the Bible and all of its 66 books and throughout the many lower stories that we're going to hear, stories of uh, Cain and Abel, of Noah, of Abraham, of David and Solomon, stories of Jesus, stories of Paul and Peter and John and James. Help us to connect all of those lower stories into one magnificent story a story that you wrote long ago that leads to our salvation and our redemption. Make us by your Spirit's power confident that we are your dearly loved and redeemed children. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Well, thank you so much for coming out for this first week of the story. Here's what I want to encourage you to do as you go out into your week. As we go through this story, you're going to notice how man and woman after man and woman of God Each of them, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to keep their lower story, their personal story, connected to God's upper story through faith in this life. Because, as with us, we are all looking for that day when God is going to send his son back to us and the stories will be reunited again, just very directly as they were in the Garden of Eden. And won't that be a powerful and amazing day? Let me send you out into your week with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. If you want to take a look at the story, it's right up front. We'll also send uh, the prayer team down if you want to pray. See you next week.